What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 14 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. Hi, my name is Mike Lynch, and if I have never met you before, it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we all seek to discover how can we can be the leaders that God created us to be in the environment that God placed us. Today is a special day. We're offering a bonus episode this month, and we're sitting down with one of the literally hottest coaches in college baseball. Last year, Sam Houston State made an incredible run through the NCAA playoffs. After going 42-22 in the regular season, they knocked off national seed Texas Tech in the postseason, went in the Lubbock Regional, and faced Florida State in the Tallahassee Super Regional, where they fell just short of a run to Omaha. But after that last game, there was a press conference, and Matt Deggs, the coach at Sam Houston State, bared his heart, bared his soul, wore his emotions on his sleeves, talked about his players, talked about the journey, talked about the young men, and captured the heart of a baseball nation. Well, today, we get to sit down with Coach Deggs. Life hasn't been all good. Everything hasn't been turning out great. In fact, he just authored a new book entitled 15 to 28. And we're going to sit down today and hear the story of number 15 and the new number 28. So I want you to pull up a chair. You may not be a baseball fan. You may be a basketball guy, football guy. You may be in business. You may be a person that just likes leadership. Well, today you're going to hear a little bit of all of that from Coach Deggs. But most of all, you're going to hear a passion for why he does what he does. So pull out a pen, pencil, even a little voice recorder on your iPhone. Listen in to my interview with the head coach at Sam Houston State, Matt Deggs. Coach, thanks for joining us on Lynch with the Leader. It's an honor to have you, buddy. I'm really excited to be here, Mike. I love what you do. It's a great honor. And uh, thanks for having me on. Man, got a question. Take me back to number 15. You got a jersey that hangs in your office, number 15. Tell me the story of that guy. Who was he? You know, for years, Mike, I I lived my life transactionally and, and, you know, what can I get and and what can I get my hands on? Really just kind of chasing the things of this world and my identity was so wrapped up in in baseball and what I did. And uh, 15 was just kind of what I, what I hid behind and uh, that facade and that front. And uh, that's, you know, that's, that was my identity was 15 and everything that I did. And, uh, you know, I I was very arrogant, very egotistical uh, and just really chasing after the things of this world. And, and uh, 15 was, was what I hid behind doing it. And, Mm. uh, you know, that's, uh, when you're living the life of uh, somebody else 
cats or living, you know, a double life or this or that. Uh, it's very easy to connect your identity to what you do. And, and, and that number kind of stood for all of those things. You know, it's interesting to think because sometimes we think, well, when we're not being who we were created to be, then we don't experience success. And the, just the opposite's true. You you had a lot of success, not only as a player, and now you banged around and worked hard as a player, but man, you stepped in the coaching world and became a pretty hot commodity really quick. Talk to me a little bit about why that success <laughs> may have even hurt a little bit, getting out of being that person. Well, I was continually, in my mind, being rewarded for the life I was living. Mm. And, uh, you know, when you're having success and, and you're doing it your own way and you're living spiritually bankrupt or spiritually empty and you're still having success, that is a dangerous, dangerous recipe. And sooner or later, something has to give. And so what happens is when things don't go your way and your identity is wrapped up in your own success and, and your own greed and your own lust and your own, uh, you know, pursuit of the temporary things and then things don't go your way or things don't work out, there's going to be a backlash and uh, it's going to create a huge void in your life and a huge hole in your heart that really and truly might can only be filled if you're spiritually empty, spiritually running on an empty tank that can only be filled by the things of this world, mm. uh, alcohol, uh, you name it, uh, you know, gambling, porn, uh, just whatever is out there. Uh, you, you, you're going to reach for those things like a drowning man. And uh, it's a very, very dark, very, very dangerous place to be. So tell me, tell me how you grew up. Was there, was there a spiritual background to you? Did you grow up in church? I know your sister, I think, is a missionary, correct? So tell me a yes. little bit of your spiritual background. Were you on track at one time and then just along the way just wandered off? How, how, did, how did you get to where you were? Certainly, you know, I grew up uh, knowing Jesus. I grew up, you know, I was saved, convicted by the Holy Spirit at the age of 10, walked down front, gave my life to Christ, baptized that night. Uh, and and so I, I've known the Lord for my entire life. And uh, what I've figured out and, and through this entire journey is that the number one mission of the enemy <clears throat> is to blind us. And uh, we're doing a four-part series right now uh, with an incredible guy. Uh, he's, a, he's a missionary all over the world with a group that he owns called Multiply named Josh Foliard. And we're doing a, a series right now, North, South, East, and West, and, and finding your true North. And, and uh, what, what I've learned and, and the perspective that I've seen is that the enemy's mission is to blind you. And so over a period of time from the age of 10 till 40, you know, I lived with my eyes closed, so to mm. speak, and lived blinded by the things of this world and, and by the pursuits of, of uh, the things that, that we perceive as being important or, or uh, you know, status, uh, and, and and so I was blinded to the to the truth and blinded to who I was really created to be. And and I'm so hard headed. It took me having to be totally stripped of everything, and then sit there for 430 days and even beyond that to realize 
and to gain perspective that nowhere in the Bible does it call you to be a baseball coach. Nowhere mm-hmm. in the Bible does it call you to connect your identity to what you do. And, uh, you know, the, the, what I've, what I've really started to see lately and this is from business with Josh and, and is that Jesus truly is a picture of who we are and who we were created to be in the life that he lived. And we all fall. And because this is a broken world, and I think the most important thing that you'll do is get back up and do something about it. And, uh, you know, by the grace of God, I was given that chance. Not everybody gets that chance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy what I learned along that journey that I put into coaching now. And, and, you know, I, I speak a lot about it. And the first one is that there's two kinds of people, those that are humble and those that are about to be and how that. you treat people matters. But the second one to me is, is the most important. And that is that God's not going to save you. And it took me a long time to realize that because my faith was working as a double-edged sword and the fact that you can be in the midst of a 12-pack and still pray for God to take it from you and then take another drink. It wasn't until I, I stood up and took action that I realized that God would meet me right there. And and what I what I learned through that is that darkness, and that's where I was, does not live in the light. In fact, darkness, by its very definition, is nothing. It's just an absence of light. And it wasn't until I decided to put it all down and take a step forward that I realized God was there the entire time, and he grabbed hold of me and said, I'll, I'll take it from here. But if you want anything to change in your life, and I think this is the message, you could sum it up in a couple of sentences. No matter what you're looking to do, no matter what you're looking to overcome, it all starts with action. Mm, that's good. That's good. You can pray all you want. That's right. It's not just going to, you know, God's not going to sprinkle some fairy dust on it. He's not a genie in a bottle. You're, you're going to have to take some action here. And you're going to have to lay it down, and you're going to have to stand up, and you're going to have to give it to him. Now, there are miracles, and, uh, you know, they happen all the time. But I truly believe, and this is what, something I'm really starting to see, is that God moves in our faithfulness. Hmm. And I've lived it, man, the last five years. I, I can take you through the last five years, and you go, holy cow. Here you are, Texas A&M, dream job, and it all falls apart. And you said you spent 430 days out of baseball. Darkness is the absence of light. How dark did that season get? Because every great leader, every great leader walks through darkness. Everybody, they all walk through it, whether they want to admit it or not. Those 430 days from the feed store to pharmaceutical sales while you're out of a game in, in for those outside baseball, baseball is one of those things when it, when it's in your veins, it's always in your veins. There's nothing you can do about it. I go through the same thing. What was that season like and how did you keep walking? How did you keep one foot in front of another foot in that? Cause that darkness is real. How, how did you do that? You know, Mike, the, 
when your identity is so wrapped up into something that the only thing that I've been able to equate it to people and it's not disrespect to anybody is it was like the death of the closest, take the closest person in your life right now. I don't care who it is. And it's like they died. Yeah. But here's the kicker for me. It's like they died at your hands. Yeah. You had something to do with it. Because Rob Childress at A&M didn't fire me. I fired me. Mm. We were rocking and rolling. This was not a job performance thing. This was a me thing. And so it would be like the closest person dying and you were involved in the accident. And it's the darkest. I wanted to die. And, uh, you know, to answer your question, and I slept with my four or five-year-old daughter, Chloe, every night just about for a while so I could feel her because I didn't I, I knew I, I didn't want to live anymore but I know that God works through children and I could feel her heartbeat and it was just kind of just keep going keep going and along the journey you know God would even in my living as an enemy of the cross God would wink at me and he would just say look at there's bigger things in store and uh through scripture and just crazy occurrences, it would just propel me to keep going one more day. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. And uh, thank God that I did. Mm. Then the call comes, opportunity for you to step back into coaching. Not a, not a time of year you expect that call. It's it's mid-season, if I remember correctly. And tell everybody a little bit of the story when that when the shade on the window started coming up and light started popping through and a little bit of hope was on the other side. Walk us through that journey of what it felt like to go, I'm going to put another uniform top back on again. What was that like? Well, it was still, it, it wasn't this magical moment. It was still, you know, I was still living as an enemy of the cross and that's mm. so that speaks to the power of addiction and the mm. power of darkness and and the power and this is this is what kills people it speaks to the power of guilt and shame that's right and the reason most people live by the things of the world or as enemy combatants of the cross or anything else is their own inability to forgive themselves and so I was, I had just got done for the day selling pharmaceuticals and I was walking in the store to buy a six pack of tall boys. And I got a call that there's a job open. And I had been praying, even living as a, as a enemy of the cross, I've been praying all fall. God, I know jobs don't come open in the spring. I just pray that you would open the door for a job to come open. And I get the call that this job's open as I'm walking into the store. And my exact response was, I will pay them to go there. Amen. Yep. But this is the crazy part about it. When I hung up, I still went in and bought the beer hmm. and drank every one of them. And so I get hired, I get the job, and I'm still, you know, at times drinking and still living with a lot of hate and a lot of anger uh, because it really is true. You go through the five stages of grief when you lose something like that. Yep. And for me, they never stopped. They just kept going and going. And as soon as I would clear one hurdle, I'd go back to the same hurdle I just cleared. And, uh, you know, 
and, and it wasn't until I had been there and, and it was a tough transition. I left, I had finally reconciled with my family and I had to leave them again and live with one of the assistant coaches for an entire semester. And uh, we couldn't afford to buy another house there. Our house wouldn't sell. And slowly pieces just started falling into place. We had to move to a little town south of Lafayette and, and lived out amongst a bunch of sugar cane and uh, found God put us in the perfect house and uh, it was for sale by owner and they were willing to work with us and I couldn't get a loan and Coach Robichaud made a phone call and now we have a loan and now we have a place to live. Uh, things just started, I started to see things kind of start to fall into place and oddly enough I was still living as a an enemy of the cross and it really wasn't until we were in the middle of the the 2013 season that it it finally we talked about being blinded yeah my eyes finally started to open and a lot of this happened because that fall Chloe my youngest the one I had to sleep with asked to be baptized after church wow and she asked me to take her and i was embarrassed to go up top you know you gotta climb the stairs yep. and then tank and the whole way i felt god nudging at me and when I, we get to the top the preacher's got his outstretched arms and he says daddy do you want to take your daughter under and that's when it, it hit me i said no brother we're both going under today mm. and god told me he said look at now when I take you under, you're going to leave all this stuff. I got this. And he did, man. I get chills telling you that because when I came up, Mike, unless you've been there, you can't explain it. I felt light. Mm. Mm. And it was no accident that day. I left. I made a commitment to leave all the stages of grief and all the hate, all the shame, all the guilt, all the rage right there. Wow. And I put a picture of it in my book and you can see, man, I'm a big believer in looking in people's faces. Yep. You can see all of a sudden my eyes are bright and, and I look clean. And, and, and so that kind of started it all. And then in 2013, fast forward a few months, I'd coached those guys so hard and I love those kids so much. And I, I started looking at them in a meeting, a pack meeting one day and, and I realized that this kid's dad's in prison. This kid's mom's an alcoholic. She's an alcoholic. This kid's brother died. This kid's mom's been married. I don't know how many times. And it dawned on me. My eyes were open. It was like, all right, Lord, you took a drunk. You put him in the drinking capital of the world, Lafayette, Louisiana. <laughs> At least the drinking capital of the United States. All right. And now I see I'm surrounded by brokenness. Mm. Mm. And I'm the chief broken one among them. And I just said, I will never let these dudes down again. Wow. And this is the selfish part about it. You can say it's selfish, but it's just me being real. I had proven that I couldn't quit drinking for God. I proved that. Yep. I couldn't. I couldn't quit drinking for my family. I couldn't quit drinking for me. Couldn't quit drinking for the best job in America. It wasn't until he put me in the spot surrounded by brokenness that I actually did stand up and said, 
I will never, ever let you dudes down. And I haven't had a drink in five years. Wow. I don't go to any meetings. I don't go. I don't. I just don't. I give it to God and I move on. And, you know, I, I'm this convicted about it. You would have to put a gun to my head and pull the trigger before I take a drink. Wow. And why? Because I don't want to let those dudes down. Wow. And now, now my eyes have been opened, all right? Now it's, it does start with God. I'm not going to drink because look where, who am I scripturally that he would bring me and my family this far? Yep. And then it goes to my family. I've seen now the hurt and destruction. And then it goes to my family and friends. And then it goes to myself and my career. And it goes to these boys that I'm now in charge of. And so now I can reverse all the way back and answer the question. Now, I couldn't stop drinking for God, but I promise you now I can. Boy, that's so good. That's so good. And I love the phrase you've used. You use a lot in your interviews. You use it a lot in podcasts. You use it in your book, Enemy of the Cross. Tell me what that means to you. That's, a, that's an interesting way to say it. And that's what Paul would say. Of course, in Romans, that's what Paul would say. What does that statement mean to you? What power is packed in that statement? You know, it, it, it takes me back to Philippians where Paul's talking and, and that, you know, he, had, he admits that he had lived as an enemy of the cross and he had lived for the, the, the greed of his own stomach. Mm. And I know that feeling, man. That's good. I know that feeling. And, 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 and what it means to me is this, and this is where it gets a little dicey is I knew the Lord. There's a problem with that, okay? And that's scripturally. I knew the Lord, yet I chose to live as an enemy combatant. Mm. I don't think you can live as an enemy combatant if you don't know the Lord. I chose to live as an enemy combatant. My eyes had been open, yet I still chose mm. to live as an enemy. Do you think in some ways that's almost more dangerous than, than a guy who, because you're, you're in a profession and I'm around these guys all the time. And, and I coach high school baseball for fun on the side. You're around guys all the time. They just don't know. They don't know any better. They don't, they don't know that there's another way. Do you think it's almost more dangerous when you do know there's another way and you just choose to walk and become the enemy? Yeah, absolutely. That's I mean, you'll find that in Hebrews. He says yep. that he will deal with those that know the truth yet don't live in it mm. so uh everybody you know a lot of people ask well why do you do what you do and and my answer is really really simple i've got no choice i was dead god saved me that's good what I love about your story coach is number 15 was a great baseball coach number 28 is a great baseball coach, the number you wear now. But they were coaching for a different purpose. Your purpose has changed. Who you are has changed. The pack mentality existed before all of this ever happened. That was stuff you were teaching, and it's so good. We may dive into that a little bit. Incredible stuff. Love it. 
but the purpose that you get up for, throw that hat on, throw those spikes on, go home, become a daddy for and a husband for, that's changed. What would you say your purpose is now? What is that new number 28, even when you don't even have the jersey on, but that new man, what's his purpose? Well, it's it's really, really simple. It's it's not so much mission Omaha, it's mission build and save lives. That's so good. And at the end of the day, you're not going to be measured really and truly by the number of wins you produce. I don't even know what my record is. You're going to be measured by the number of husbands, fathers, business owners, uh, pillars of the community. You're going to be measured by the amount of guys, the amount of grown men that you produce. And I, I truly believe, yeah, I love to win as much as anybody. I'm a horrible loser. Okay. But I truly believe if the onus is on developing men first and players second, making sure they get a degree third and then winning championship rings together, that you find perspective, your eyes are open and you see the absolute truth. And look at Mike, when you've, when you've worked and you've dotted every I and you've crossed every T and, and your team loves each other and you love your team, you've already won. That's right. That's why you see us play the way we do. That's why you see a team that's fun to watch that plays fast, hard, and loose because truly, honestly, we don't care. It's all about the confrontation. It's all about competing, and it's all about doing it together. So the scoreboard doesn't matter to us. Mm. I promise you, you'll remember that you played us. That's right. And I love what you said. And I was listening to one of your interviews, a great interview. And, and you said that, that that even begins with a handshake. When they run at each other in the locker room and a handshake starts, the competition begins. Explain yeah. to everybody a little bit. And I know that's part of the pack mentality. And we're going to have a show note link for folks to be able to order your videos, which I'm about to download for our baseball team. But what what is that? Explain to everybody a little bit about that competition. I think anytime you build a culture, if, if you're looking to build a team, a unit, an unbreakable culture, it starts really and truly with what we call the pack way. And inside the pack way, the number one thing is you have to raise the bar and set the standard. So what do you stand for? You have to ask yourself that. And for me, it's really, really three things. Number one is punctuality. If you're on time, you're late. Number two is energy. Energy creates more energy. Positive or negative, it's just a fact. Okay, and then number three is competition. Find guys that love to compete. They live for the confrontation. They live to compete no matter what it's at. And build that, build that culture on hope versus expecting. Because hope is a word that people use to insulate themselves in case of possible defeat. <laughs> we don't know any word like that around here. We expect in everything. So back to punctuality, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, look, this is the way it's going to go down. Mm. We haven't had a guy late in two and a half years. Wow. The power of our culture. That's incredible. Okay. Uh, the energy that goes back to the handshake and no matter how we're doing good or bad, when we see somebody around this building, it's, Hey, how you doing? They get a chance to answer with one word and saved as the, the ace of spades blessed is probably the ace of clubs. Uh, you can only use those once a week. 
other than that, it's a topper game. If you say you're doing great, I'm going to say I'm doing awesome. Uh, if you say you're unparalleled, I'm going to say I'm unbelievable. Uh, and then it's going to be followed by a handshake and I'm going to try to crush you and you're going to try to crush me. And, uh, then there'll be an argument ensue over who did what. And we'll probably try to recruit some other guys to take your side. And, you know, it's, that's creating energy and it's competing at the same time. And it's living in the here and now, not the past. Mm. This team has an incredible short memory. I remember we won the regional last year at Texas Tech, and I looked up an hour and a half into the eight-hour bus ride home when everybody was asleep. They live for the moment, mm. win or lose. We could lose a game, and I look up 30 minutes down the road, and they're going to be talking trash to each other. I mean, it's just they have very short memories. They're going to be moved on, playing some sort of game. or It's all temporary. That's so good. And, I, you know, and I think the world looked at it last year and went, wow, Sam Houston State, they went a long ways. That probably wasn't a long ways for you guys, was it? Did no. you fully expect to see yourself there? 100%. We yeah. got – so our mission, what we set out to do every year is this metaphorical mountain. So I want you to picture Everest. And every kid gets a binder, right? And so – on this this binder, you see this metaphorical mountain. And there's three different summits on that mountain. First summit, second summit, third summit. And we got to the first summit. We could see the top, but we didn't get to put our flag there. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, it was historical, this, that. Uh, but we all believed and expected we were going to finish in Omaha. This team now expects to win a national championship. Now. Here's the greatest part about that climb. All the fun is had in that climb. That's right. It's because you could win a national championship. You could win a, you know, a regional super, whatever. That experience lasts about five minutes. That's right. Okay. All the fun and all the memories are in the fact that, yeah, man, you remember when we hit that crevice and, and none of us backed down, we just found a way around it. Or, you know, remember how steep that part was or, I uh, remember when so-and-so wanted to turn around and we went and got him and all the memories are made in that. And so there's so many life lessons learned along the way to the top. That's incredible. And I love, I heard you share, you know, the difference between hope and, and expectation, you know, and you were talking about one of your players says, I hope I did well on the test or I expect to do well on the test. Explain a little bit of, of what you hear when you hear a kid say, well, I hope I do well, or I hope I did well. What, what do you hear when you hear that? Well, hope, hope means you're kind of prepared. Mm. When I use hope in that context, now there's also a, a biblical hope where that's an expectation of things to come. That's totally different. <laughs> that ain't that kid's hope. Right. When I hear hope, you know, I hope I get this dude out or I hope, you know, we get out of this jam. That means we're kind of prepared. We've yeah. kind of worked. And if it doesn't happen, we're just a little disappointed. That's good. But when I hear somebody say, I expect this is going to happen. Think about any time you've expected something and it doesn't happen. How do you feel? You're probably angry. Yep. And so we create this culture of, of really and truly bad losers, man. And where, you know what, it's not going to settle well with us. 
because we know we put in the work. Now, when I say bad losers, I don't mean it in the sense of we don't pout, we don't whine. We got short memory, same dudes every day. We just move on to the next confrontation. You might have got me there. You, you got me on that breaking ball, see you in 30 minutes. It's that type of attitude. We won't stop. So what do you do to keep your edge? Here you are, top of your profession, hottest thing in America last summer when, when your ESPN clip, which we'll play uh, in our segue in, went viral. How do you now, sought after speaker, man, you're speaking at ABCA, you're, you're speaking in churches, you're doing business conferences, you're doing podcasts, written a great book, which we'll have a link to. How do you keep your edge now? It's really simple, Mike. I am driven, and I have been since I was a child. I am driven by competition. If there's a competition, count me in. I love to compete. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But it's all about the showdown. It's all about the confrontation. Those are the moments that I live for, and I we recruit kids that live for those moments. And you know what? I'm telling you. The fun is in the grind. It's in the battle. Sometimes you're going to win. Sometimes you're going to lose. But guess what? We'll be back. That's good. So you go out, you're recruiting, you're meeting with a kid. You see him play a perfect game. You see him play at his high school. You see him compete on a JUCO level. How do you? How can you identify that competitive nature? Is there is there something you look for? Is there something that you go, man, when I see this, what would you say? Number one, you can see it in the way a guy plays. If a guy gets down the line, you can see, let's say a guy grounds back to the pitcher and he gets down the line. That dude's got some passion, man. See it how the guy gets on and off the field. See it in how he supports his teammates. See it in how he reacts when he's been 0 for 5 and their team still wins. And then truly, I'm looking, we're looking for old school guys. I mean, if he walks down and, and instead of mama flipping him a Gatorade in a granola bar, if he'll walk down and turn that water hose on, wait for it to cool off and take a big drink. I like that dude. Mm. That's good. They don't make those kids much anymore. You have to go hunting a little bit. You have to go you hunting a little bit for those rock. guys. You got to flip every rock. And usually it starts with mom and daddy. Take a hard look at mom and daddy. See what they do. Mm -hmm. and, uh, because we've hit. Our coaches have done an incredible job recruiting and the fact that we've hit the personnel jackpot with moms and dads and players, uh, just blue-collar, hard-nosed people that want us to coach their kids hard and they want the very best for their kids and they understand that absolutely nothing will be given to their kid here. From the day they show up, they will earn everything they get. And their family understands that because that's the way they are. Right. Makes a big difference, man. That makes a big, that makes a big difference. So you now you're on the speaking circuit. You're, you're out. What is driving you to tell your story? Why, why, why is there this passion burning in you to make sure that God did this for me? I want other people to know what, why would that be? Cause I was in, you know, I was in the last meeting with my hitters at UL. We were coming off this incredible season, 2014 first mid-major to ever finish number one ranked team in the nation in all five polls at the end of the regular season. And I didn't know I was leaving at the time. 
and God spoke into my heart. He said, I'm going to take you and put you on just a little bigger stage. He spoke that into my heart. Mm. And then he backed it up scripturally when he took me to Isaiah 43, one and said, don't be afraid. I've redeemed Amen. you. I've summoned you. I call you by name. And I thought he meant a, a job, but what he meant really. And when you look out on that stage of 6,000 dudes at the ABCA, or uh, when you think about a video that's gone 40, 50 million times, that's the stage he's talking about. And so uh, I might not be the sharpest dude, but I can pick up on stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, one thing that I am is aggressive. And the Lord knows if he opens a door, he doesn't have to tell me twice. I'm going to go busting through it. And so he's opened some doors, and I believe it's biblical. You know, look at Revelation 3, 8 through 10. He says, I've opened doors that nobody can shut, and I've closed doors nobody can open. Because you have kept my word and you have not denied my name. And I, I draw on those things. And, and I was dead. He saved me. I will do this for him. That simple. One sentence that wraps it up. That's solid, baby. That is, that's money in the bank right there. And I, I want you to know that you are speaking into lives and touching lives that nobody else may be able to get to. And I think that's why God chose Paul and his generation. And I think that's why he's put his finger on you in this generation. You are, you are touching and grabbing some hearts of some coaches, especially in that world that go, man, if God can do it for him, God can do it for me. And, and I, I thought I was too far gone, but maybe, maybe there is a little hope. Maybe there is a little bit. What would you tell that guy that, that feels like he's walking in darkness right now? What would you tell hey, him? Man. Corey Asbury, if you've never heard this dude, go download his stuff. He's a he's a singer, right? Yep. And he's got this song, Reckless. Oh, yeah. God loves recklessly. And he says in scripture, he will leave the 99 just right. for you. And he does so at his own peril. He has no regard for his own safety. And his love is reckless. And if you'll stand up and you'll take some action through faith and sacrifice, obedience, service, give it all to him. Just watch what happens. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Coach Deggs. My goodness, when I was listening to him on the phone, you just went, I want to put on a hat, put on some spikes, put on a glove and go play for this guy. There's an intensity, a burn, a passion, but not just for the game of baseball, but for the game of life. That old number 15, I, I never knew him, but I sure love number 28. I love who he is. I love what he represents, and I love the difference he's making for the kingdom. You know, Scripture says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And I know Coach Deggs didn't come to know Christ later in life. He had done that earlier. But he began to live Christ later in life. And, buddy, is he making a difference. I know this. He can count me as a fan. I'm all on board the train and hoping and pulling for those guys this season as they make another run at the College World Series. You know, one of the things I took away was the hope versus expectation. Not, not the faith hope, as he talked about, but the I hope I do well 
and I expect to do well. Man, it's something I talked about with my baseball players that I worked with just the other night. And what a great principle to take away, hope versus expectation. Man, that was good. That's one I know for me, I enjoyed the interview, but I'm going to go back and sit and re-listen to because there was just so much leadership gold that he threw out. And man, you just you can't get enough of it, can you? Well, thanks, Coach Deggs, for joining us. Episode 15 is going to be equally as great. We're going to sit down with an Atlanta area leader named C.J. Stewart. C.J. Stewart is making as much of a mark in young men's lives in the city of Atlanta as anybody that I know. His organization is helping kids not only with the game of baseball, but helping them find their way in life. And we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. We're going to talk about the differences in different parts of Atlanta. We're going to talk about race. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. You're going to love it. And so I hope you'll join us again next week as I sit down with CJ and hear about his passion to see Christ make a difference in young men's lives. Well, thanks again for joining us today. I hope that you'll share this with a friend, invite them to be a part. And my prayer is that, that this becomes something other than what it is, which is a, a hopefully a good spiritual leadership podcast. My goal is it helps people lead with their faith out in front. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.